0: What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry
1: of Pastor Chris Tress. That word believe, by the way, we throw out a lot. And we we get away from its original meaning, which is It means to commit to, to roll off onto, and it is the word picture of a camel that is carrying something and it gets to its destination and the camel bends its neck down to the ground and it rolls off onto what it's been carrying. It commits it to the ground and carries it no longer. This is why James has a warning for everybody. It says this, so you say you believe there is one God. Good, even demons believe and they tremble. So what, what do we believe, right? What do we believe? There's this great story of old that there was a, a guy that took a a, 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 uh, a, I can't think of the word, a cord uh, across Niagara Falls Tightwire. that's what it was thank you thank you very much and he's walking back and forth and everybody's you're amazing you're amazing and then he gets a wheelbarrow And he goes back and forth, and people are like, ah, crowds are getting bigger. Then he takes 250 pounds. He puts it in the wheelbarrow. He goes back and forth, right? And the crowds are like getting way bigger. You're awesome. You're the man. And he says to the crowd, how many of you believe I could put a human in here and walk across and walk back? And everybody's hand went up. We believe. And he said, okay, who wants to jump in? The story goes there was one. It was the, the man's son who had been with his dad, who had seen his dad over and over and over again. He was convinced of the strength and the love and the affection of his dad, so he got in. I don't know if it's a true story, but it's a good one. <laughs> but here we are, church, Jesus, we believe, if we believe, we're going to jump out of the boat. If we jump out of the boat, our life will be described as walking on water. Because our gaze is fixed on Christ and we're not concerned about the wind, the the waves, or what's going on around us, all the circumstances, our eyes are locked like doves' eyes to Jesus, we're so in love, it doesn't matter what's going on in life, we believe to roll off onto. Many people believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that um, he, he, he died for your sins. like You believe that from a mental ascent, but to commit your entire life so you surrender it all and you follow him wherever he goes, abandoned to Christ, I want to be in the wheelbarrow because that is where you are. I don't want to be by the shore, believing about you. I want to be with you where you are. Put me in your wheelbarrow. Put me in your wheelbarrow. Imagine that for a second. If you were in the wheelbarrow, how would you be sitting in it? Some of us would be looking forward. Ah! Looking over to the side, ah! I would want to lean back and look in his eyes and find a contentment there. Not worrying about where I'm going and where we were and how much longer to the other side. Understand this relationship with Jesus, guys. It needs to be so deep and so overwhelming that you're so in love with this this king jesus that nothing else matters and so let's let's go ahead and look at uh, ephesians chapter 2 real quick please this is the apostle paul he's writing to the church how do we know that because in in chapter one he says to the saints in Ephesus he's not writing to the world he's writing to the church and 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 my sermon today it's not written to the world because the 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 blessings and the promises that are listed in song of songs four it's written to the church it's written to the bride of christ But look what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in in which you once walked, following the course or the pattern of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So those who do not obey the gospel understand they're being led by another spirit, by the demonic spirit, out in this world. Verse 3, so that we do not become prideful among whom we all once lived. This is why you can't hate a blind man for being blind, because you were once blind. We're saved by grace. Who we once lived in the passions of our flesh. In the passions of our flesh, yeah, like, like, like I, my emotions ruled me, my feelings ruled me. I just did what felt good. I did what I wanted to do. I got to get mine. That kind of me, me, me lifestyle. That's how we lived. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are above every power and principality, ruler, and authority that's in high places because you are higher than them. If you do not understand Ephesians 2.6, you're never going to understand with a proper perspective Ephesians chapter 6 in spiritual warfare. We are above the enemy. The enemy, because of Christ, is under our feet, He raised us up, verse 6, with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ. You know, that's Paul's favorite phrase, which is really the Holy Spirit really wants us to get. In Christ, in him, in Christ, in him. That defines your life. Emmanuel, God with us. This is a with God life. Eight, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is, a, it is the gift of God. Not the re- result of any works. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. You can't obey enough to get to heaven. It's what Christ has done on the cross, how he has redeemed us by his blood. And we boast in the cross. We don't boast in what we do because the only reason I'm saved, it's because of the grace of God. It's what he has done. He has saved me. He has opened my eyes. He has drawn me. this is really good news here. It's bad news. From the standpoint, people that are without Christ in the world, Scripture declares they're children of wrath. Because they will not obey Christ. There's a disobedience in them. But the good news is for us, is that we are in Christ. We are with Christ. And I wanted to start here because, let's go ahead to Song of Songs 4, please. I want you to really, really understand this, church. Unless you are saved, unless you are born again, unless you have put your faith in Christ, this whole message today, it's not for non-Christians. It's for Christians. This is our inheritance. This is our inheritance. Let's pick it up where we left off in verse 8. It says, come with me. Song of Songs 4, verse 8. Come with me. Highlight with me, with me, with me from Lebanon, and then he says this word, my bride. That is the first time in this book she is being called his bride. That is a big deal. And by the way, the reason we're doing this book together is so that the church can be awakened to the bridal paradigm that comes through the gospel, that we would know how are how we are to carry ourselves throughout this world as the bride of Christ you know early on when when i was in my youthful zeal without knowledge i'm still coming out of that by the way i would take shots at the church i would speak against the church They're not doing this. They're not doing this. They should do this. Oh, I was very critical of the church until all of a sudden something clicked. You're talking about my bride, Chris. Some of you have spoken ill things about the bride of Christ. And I want you to imagine this for a second. Imagine it's you and me And my wife, Colleen, in a room, and you just start running her down right in front of me. What do you think's gonna happen? I'll tell you what's gonna happen. I'm gonna go Old Testament on your. That's what's gonna happen. Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, anyway. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm gonna turn the other cheek on you. No, what do you think's gonna happen to me? What's going to happen in my heart? Like, this is my bride. This is my bride. And we have to begin to receive the fact that we are the bride of Christ, but also as we look upon one another, one another, we are, you guys are the bride of Christ. You're the bride. So collectively, but also individually, we're married to Christ and having that kind of mindset gives us privileges. It gives us benefits that we walk in, right? Right? And so are you walking like that, that you're the bride? Are you viewing others like they're the bride? Think about this. When when I said yes to my wife, that means I said no to every other girl on the planet. There is exclusivity, if that's a word. My commitment is solely and completely to her. All that I have, which wasn't enough. Your boy was in the red. But all that I had was hers. And all that I have is hers. Sometimes I'll go somewhere and speak, and they might give me a little honorarium check, you know. You know where that thing goes right when I get home? Right in her hand. Here you go, baby. I got to ask her for money. Just went on a trip, right? And hey, babe, can I get some, some money? It's all hers. It's all hers. Everything that I have is her. I go to work for her. I work really hard so she don't have to. When I found out when we were married, how much highlights cost. (laughs) Or getting hair done cost. I heard about this thing called the box. I'm like, baby, what about the box? That got shut down real quick. Some of you single guys, you don't even know what I'm talking about. It's okay, bro. You're going to find out. (laughs) But when I saw the numbers on that, I went to the store. I bought myself some clippers, and this is what I've been doing for 20 years. (laughs) I cut my own hair, right? If you see it uneven, hey, that's all right. I need glasses. I got to remember to put my glasses on when I'm shaving my head. Why? I'm dead. I'm dead, so she may have life. There was a time in my late 30s where we didn't have a lot of money, and my wife had two little ones, and we couldn't afford two cars, and so I'm riding my bicycle to work, and she's got the car. I also see her as my garden. She's my garden. I want to tend to her. I want to care for her. I want to, I want to put some fertilizer on her. <laughs> Maybe not fertilizer. <laughs> Sometimes I got to pull weeds. But there's a responsibility that I have to tend to my garden. And I want you to understand in this text here, God sees us as his garden. And so when it says, my bride here in 8a you could spend the next three months meditating on what that means and 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 just focus on those two words do you really really believe and understand see if 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 uh this is what Jesus says if you who are evil speaking to parents if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more does your father in heaven know how to give good gifts right how much more listen to to apart from Christ right my righteousness is filthy rags and so as I'm trying to love my bride Listen, I'm not even coming close to the extravagant love that Christ has for us. Because in the beginning, a lot of my love was selfish. I was focused on what kind of benefits she was bringing me early on. What is she bringing to the table? And as you mature in Christ, it doesn't matter what they bring to the table because you're dead to yourself. That's where love goes. That's where love takes you. This thing ain't about me. It's about him. That word my, it also speaks to ownership. Ownership. My bride. You are mine. See, back in the day, and I think we need to bring it back, brides were purchased. Genesis 34.12 says this, Ask for me a great bride price, a gift as you as well. I will give whatever you say to me, only give me the young woman to be my wife. And so there was a negotiation. Hey, whatever, whatever I got to pay for this woman, she's a bad chick, I'll pay you. And we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you to whom you have from God? You are not your own for you are bought with a price. What price? The precious blood of Jesus. You've been purchased. That means ownership. You are mine, but with that ownership comes great responsibility, tender, care, compassion, a planning. All of scripture is focused on going to Revelation 19, where there is this marriage supper of the Lamb, where Christ is going to be with his bride. Sometimes we get caught up with end times and everything that's going on. Understand, above that all, Jesus, he is He is waiting for that marriage supper of the Lamb. He is ready to have a wedding. He is ready to celebrate. And it says there, the bride has made herself ready. And there is a responsibility that we need to be getting ready for the culmination of this great wedding, of this great feast where we can be with King Jesus. This is what's going on. This is a love story. The backdrop of the cross is a marriage. It's not just to take care of your sins. No, I want to be married to you. This is what Jesus is saying. I want you to turn to Ephesians 5, please. While you turn in there, I want to just read this over you because this is on the heart of Jesus right now. Then I heard What seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true words of God. Guys, this is is where everything's going. As we are his bride, don't lose sight of that. Yes, there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars, pestilence and things are going to be like birth pains getting worse but don't lose sight of the fact that he is coming for his bride and we have a responsibility to join him in making ourselves ready look at Ephesians 5 verse 32 because if you don't get 32 you're not going to understand what we're going to read Ephesians 5:32 This mystery is profound, so it's the mystery of the marriage, mystery of marriage, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So understand the context here, this is really, really important. This passage is used all the time for marriage, and there's nothing wrong with that, because every marriage should look like this. Men, this is our high calling as men. But understand, it's not talking about marriage. It's talking about Christ and the church. Christ and the church. This is Christ and how he deals with us, his bride. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ, verse 25, Ephesians 5, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He embraced the cross while we were in rebellion. That he might sanctify her. That means set her apart having cleansed her by the washing of the water, verse 26, of the word, with the word. And so the word goes forth, it brings a cleansing over us, our bride. And so the bride has made herself ready, meaning we're joining with the Holy Spirit of God, receiving the word over our lives. And when we receive the word over our lives, it begins to cleanse out, What's going on inside? The filth, the mess, the the, the things that are not of him, the wrong thoughts about him. As we begin to receive, there's no flaw in you. And we begin to hold on to those things. It cleanses us. It cleanses us. Verse 27, so that he might present the church. His heart is to bring you out and present you. Not, not not, keep you tucked away, but, oh, to bring you out. Oh, come and look at my bride. Come and look at my bride. Isn't she glorious? Isn't she radiant? This is my trophy. Without spot or wrinkle, verse 27, or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. There's no flaw in you. There's no flaw in you. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Husbands, are you nourishing and cherishing your bride? And would she say that? Yeah, I feel so nourished. I feel so cherished. Or would she say, yeah, this dude can't get off his phone. It's like I'm not in the room. I'll talk about the no phone zone another time, but talk to my wife about it. It's a beautiful thing. Nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, just as Christ does to his bride. So right now, this is what's happening with the word of God. It's purifying, it's washing over us, it's, it's helping us to, to, to become who we truly are, right? It's the bride making herself ready because we're joining in what the Holy Spirit is doing. Verse 30, because we're members of his body. We're members of his body, we belong to one another. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Another word could be honor. Like, man, do we honor Christ? Do we respect Christ? Do we come under his authority? In the military, somebody with rank walks by you. You stand up and you salute. And there's a lifestyle of Christ our King. That we walk consistently and constantly with an honor and respect for him. Let's go back to Song of Songs 4. Verse 8. We're moving really fast today. He says it again, come with me. This is the second time. Come with me, come with me. God wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to be in intimate with you. Come with me. You know, I was, I was away for a few weeks um, in, in Africa, and I was away from my wife. And, man, at night I'm laying in under a mosquito net, and um, I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to go on a mission trip anymore without my wife. She just makes everything so much better. I'm kind of boring. I'm like, I'm like, a, a, you know, anyway. She brings so much joy. She brings so much life. She brings so much, right? And it's just this desire in me. It's like, I don't, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to be away from her anymore. Why? Because we've been declared one. And so if I'm going on mission, there's going to be something that's missing to this world as I go on mission. Because the best thing about me is my wife. And if she's not with me, oh, I'm I'm operating out of lack. Because when we come together, good things happen. I want you to understand that's a picture of what Christ is like you. I I want you with me. I want you with me. I want you with me continue on with eight. It says, depart from the peak of Amana, from the peak of Sinar and Hermon, and from the dens of lions and the mountains of of leopards. Now, context of this passage, he is affirming her. He's affirming her. He's affirming her. But here he's letting her know that we're gonna hit the mountains, and mountains usually speak of adversity. Lions and leopards are gonna be there, huh? Right? My, uh, oh my, Lion, uh, tiger. What's that one thing? Lions and tigers and bears. Oh no, you know they're, 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 there's this there's this there's this thing of you know what what is on the other side? What is in the future? And we can dwell about things. Oh man, there's lions and caves, right? This, this why this is why it says in Proverbs, a lazy man says. There's a lion outside. I want to avoid the painful things. I want to avoid the hard things. But right as he's affirming her, listen, the call of a disciple is deny yourself, take up the cross and follow. So he lets, he's letting her know, hey, abide in my love. Abide in my love. Don't worry about the mountains. Don't worry about the lions. Don't worry about they're going to come, but focus in on my love. We know first Peter 5 8 says, be sober, be be watchful that the adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone whom he may devour. So the reality for the Christian there's a the devil is always looking for a way into your life. But that shouldn't cause fear, anxiety, or worry to come. Why? Because you're walking with Jesus. You're walking with the king. We also live in a fallen world that is really, really hard. We have this battle, the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? And so the devil is always boosting up the flesh, but he's also, Ephesians chapter 2, where we started, he is the spirit that is at work in the in the, the hearts of the sons of disobedience, the power at prince, He's, he, he is in this world. In fact, 1 John 5, 19 says he is the ruler, small ruler, of this world. And so the world, the flesh, and the devil, all these things are happening. We are at war right now. But at the same time, we should be celebrating our marriage in the midst of war. I want to ask you these questions. What would it look like if your circumstances no longer dictated your emotions? What would your life look like? And let's just go to last week. There was was a couple times I got into my emotions, and a couple people here can testify. Don't do that, though. Don't do that right now. Don't say amen. circumstances were dictating my emotions not so overwhelmed with the love of God that whatever happens it's well with my soul I'm at peace there's another question what would you what would your life um, look like if your performance never dictated how you felt about yourself I had a really hard thing to do Tuesday night. Um, there was a person that committed suicide and I had to do their funeral. And there was an overwhelming sense of just, just emotions and God helped me to o- be overcome by the tragedy of this. And not only the tragedy of that, but that, that, that man had a two-year-old daughter and I and my father died when I was two. So it brought up things from my past as I began to focus on her and what she's going to hear and what she's going to deal with as a precious girl. The thoughts from Satan that's going to come into her. If your dad loved you, if you were worthy, he would be here right now. But he didn't love you. That's why he took his life. I want you to understand that is the vileness of Satan. This is, this, is, this is why I'm so passionate about God's word because that is not true. That's demonic. Satan is the accuser of the brethren and we start accusing other people when we start receiving accusations about other. I want you to understand that the enemy is somewhere around. And this is why the word of God drowning out those lies of her little precious worth. I want to play a video there's a famous song that many of us know in fact it was sung at this funeral at the end but a lot of us don't know the background of where that song originated from and so go ahead sebastian
0: horatio spafford was a well-known lawyer and businessman in chicago in the 1860s where he lived with his wife anna and their five children He had invested heavily in real estate along the shores of Lake Michigan. He was a prosperous man and a devout Christian. However, in 1870, a series of events began to turn Horatio's world upside down. That year, Horatio and Anna's only son died. Of scarlet fever at the tender age of only four. A year later, while the Spaffords were still grieving the loss of their son, the great Chicago fire broke out and destroyed nearly every one of Horatio's investments. His entire life savings was gone. Aware of the toll these disasters had taken on his family, Horatio decided to take his wife and four daughters on a holiday to England where they planned to accompany the famous evangelist D.L. Moody on his next crusade. However, just before they set sail, a last-minute business development forced Horatio to delay. Not wanting to ruin the family holiday, he persuaded his family to go on as planned, and he would follow along later. With this decided. Horatio stayed in Chicago, while Anna and the girls boarded the French steamship Ville du Havre to set sail for England. But several days later, Horatio received devastating news. The Ville du Havre had been struck by an iron sailing vessel from England. The ship sank in only 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 passengers. It was the worst disaster in naval history until the sinking of the HMS Titanic 40 years later. The next day, he received the telegraph from Anna from Wales. It read these six words, Survived alone, what should I do? The Spafford's four daughters were among those who perished. After hearing the terrible Horatio boarded the next ship out of New York to join his bereaved wife. During his voyage, the captain of the ship called him to the bridge. A careful reckoning has been made, he said, and I believe we are now passing the very place where the Ville du Havre sank. And it was there. While staring into the watery grave of his beloved daughters, that Horatio penned the words to the great hymn, It is well with my soul.
1: driving here today, and my kids are driving now. And all of a sudden, those thoughts come in, you know. What if a wreck happens on 95? What if there's nothing more painful? I mean, I can't can't even imagine. I can't even imagine the pain that was in him. The father understands his one and only son was crucified. He went through that pain, so he understands the pain. But in life. There's mountains of lions and. And there's leopards and there's things, God, the guys, of the world, the flesh, the devil. There's things that are that are that are just out there. But what if it was taken away from you? What if the very mo- the most precious thing was taken away from you? You see this is this we don't we don't preach a false gospel here that Jesus is going to bring make everything better. Can you imagine what Horatio was dealing with? Thoughts of God I know you can heal but you didn't. And all of a sudden to begin to accuse God for not saving. Also, how about himself? He encouraged his wife to go. Oh, God, forgive me. Why wasn't I more led by the spirit? Why? Why wasn't I more sensitive to the leading of your spirit? So he could have condemned like that. Or maybe, like, God, why did you tell me to send my family across the other side? Like, the enemy begins to traffic in these things, and nothing changes. Understand, this is why spiritual warfare is really important for us, church, that you understand the voice of God over the voice of the enemy, because he is an accuser, he is a liar, he is a condemner, and he's always accusing God right at the beginning. Did God really say, you can't eat of this? Did God really say, right? He's always questioning God. And see, here's where we have to be, guys, as a church. Because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We've got to be so convinced of the love of God. And this is the cry. God, convince me of your love. So if some, no matter what happens, even if. I'm going to abide in you and I'm going to say it is well with my soul. Listen to these words. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this bless assurance that Christ, yes, he has regarded my helpless state, and he has shed his own blood for my soul. He was convinced of the love of God. He was convinced because of the cross that God loved him, and he said, I just trust you, God. Even if I don't understand it, I trust you. I'm convinced of your love. And this is why Jesus is saying, come away with me. Come away with me. There's lions. There's lepers. There's mountains. Guys, this is a journey that we're on, but you're with Jesus. You're with Jesus. Let's look at verse 9. He begins to affirm her again. So again, this whole passage is affirmation. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then you get the little blip in verse 8 that, that life is hard. It's going to be hard. Things could happen. There's lions out there. But abide in my love. Abide in my love. You've captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. So he says my bride again. You've captivated my heart. What a powerful statement. Have you ever wondered how Jesus really feels about you? Again, many of us have a hard time receiving this, but this word captivate means to ravish the heart, to make the heart beat faster, to make the heart skip a beat He's saying, you've brought ecstasy to my heart. You've made my heart swell with joy. There's this overwhelming sense of emotions and delight because of us. It was the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the shame of the cross. You were the joy. You bring him joy. The reality is a lot of us love one another depending on the performance of one another. So then we expect God loves us the same way. I'm going to have you turn to two places, uh, John thirteen two. Keep your place here. We'll be coming back. we just we just can't fathom the agape of god and by the way romans 55 5, some some people say well i just don't feel like like i, I agape i love them Understand it's not about how you feel, it's about the reality, according to Romans 5.5, 5, that the Holy Spirit, God has, past tense, he's poured out his love in you through the Holy Spirit of God. Those who are not born again, those who are not saved, those who do not have the Holy Spirit inside of them, they cannot agape. They cannot. They are incapable of loving unconditionally. But we who have the spirit of God in us, which is the spirit of agape, we now have the power to love like that. Well, how do we love? John 13, 2. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Stay in that. Have you ever had a friend betray you? Have you ever had a group of people betray you? Did you in real time wash their feet? Did you in real time invite them to the Last Supper? Like this is one night, by the way, John 13 through, through 17. I don't know about you, but, but, but if I was Jesus, verse 13, 3 would say this. Because Jesus knew that Satan was in the heart of Judas, Jesus said, be gone, Satan. And that would be, have been the last time you heard of Judas. But Jesus didn't do that. He didn't do that. Why? Because there is this thing called agape, where he's looking in the face of Judas and washing his feet with this extravagant love and affection, not depending on what we do or don't do. No, his love doesn't change with what we do or we don't do. Listen, Christian, God can never love you more than he loves you today. He can never love you less than he loves you today. He loves you despite you. Despite your faults, despite the things that you and others see about you, he is so madly in love with you. You don't believe me? Okay, turn to Mark 10:20. Mark 10:20. This is my favorite story when it comes to Jesus and the rich young ruler. Because it is here in Mark where we see the word agape. And so, basically, the rich young ruler is like, hey, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And then let's look at verse 20. He says, teacher... All these I've kept from my youth. Now, I want you to understand something. There's no way anybody has kept those from their youth. So he was a very prideful dude. How do we know that? Don't, don't lie. Listen, everybody lied. Everybody lies. And so he was, not, he was not really, really being honest. And Jesus, he doesn't even respond to that. Man, how many times do I respond to things when I know somebody is wrong about something where Jesus knows he's wrong and Jesus doesn't even respond? In fact, I did that this week too. No, no, delete, I did the opposite. I responded to something. I knew somebody was wrong and then I corrected them. You ain't coming up in here like that. (laughs) Jesus knew he was wrong and just, he, he didn't say anything. Listen to this. Jesus looked at him, and you need to highlight that. Loved him. That's agape in the Greek. Jesus agaped the rich young ruler. And he said, you lack one thing. Go, all you have, give it away, Right? You'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus allowed him to walk away. But I want you to understand what what God was, his posture in that, in him knowing that this guy loves money more than he loves God, but Jesus looked at him with agape, and there is this passion, despite the fact that, hey, Jesus, I love this more than you. And now we look at all of us. Many of us think the rich young ruler, that was just that guy. No, 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 listen. That's us. How many things are in your life that you really love more than God? And if it's not things, it could be your own pleasure. It can be your own, and it can be your own self, which hinders my surrender. Because I love myself. And Jesus, he doesn't look condemning. He didn't yell at that guy. He didn't scold him. He looked at him with the eyes of agape. Because God is love. God feels passionate emotion, even towards us who are immature believers. I want you to understand this, Christian. You're an immature believer. Be encouraged. You're an immature believer. Guess what? I'm an immature believer. Because who am I comparing myself to? Other believers? No. We're called to the fullness of the stature of the measure that is found in Christ. And according to that standard, I'm immature. And so are you. Get over yourself. He loves us all the same. There's not an extra special deluxe version of the super apostle. It's ridiculous to compare. He feels this overwhelming sense of love towards you right now, not just later when you learn how to live better. When you, when, when you really learn how to, to, to become a disciple. He's not gonna then love you more. No, 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 he loves you right now, so much, and God cannot love you any more than he does right now, you might need to write that down, because it'll get rid of your performance if you really take that in. And it's hard to grasp these truths about how God feels about us, And I want you to understand, church, that the trick of the enemy as he wants you to see a God who is harsh, demanding, never satisfied with your performance, mostly disappointed with you all the time, frustrated with the rate of your spiritual growth. And so nothing is more deadlier to, to, to a Christian than a false idea of how God views you. You and I, we are a new creation in Christ and he has placed the full worth of his son on you and on me as we are abiding in him and if we fall if we constantly focus on a false perception of our unworthiness we call God a liar and the work of cross the work of the cross is null and void in our life how does viewing yourself as a new creation in christ really impact the thoughts about who you are. Do you believe that you're loved? Do you believe that you're fully pleasing? Do you believe that you're accepted in the beloved? Do you believe that you're truly forgiven of everything? And there is this convincing that I am the beloved of God. I am the bride of Christ. And look at this again, guys. Let's just close with this. Worship person, and it's not the team today. (laughs) You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You've captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. Highlight that. With one glance of your eyes. I mean, come on, Chris. This is a little much. No, no, no. Listen. Listen. This is what it says. This is why in scripture, in Hebrews, right? It says, fixing your eyes upon Jesus. We're called to fix our eyes and our gaze upon Christ. And with one glance of our eyes, it overwhelms him. It captivates, yeah, looking towards Christ, looking towards Christ. We're about to sing. We're about to worship Jesus. And as we look to Christ, as we worship Christ, one glance of his eyes, it captivates his heart. He is going to be filled with joy and emotion and gladness as we sing to him. This is why worship at the end is so important because the word, it causes us to get our mind right. It causes us to get our heart right in our affections. We want to kiss towards you, God. We want to sing to you like there's nobody else in the room. It's passionate love, passionate wor- worship. And I want you to understand that you are just ravishing his heart. You are making his heart so glad as you kiss towards him. And that's what this worship is. With one glance of your eyes, with one glance of your eyes. Father, we just bow before you. Out of love, out of of adoration, and thanksgiving. It is by your grace that we are saved and you have declared that by your blood you've purchased us as your bride. Overwhelm us God with a greater reality of your love, your agape love that that covers our sin that looks past our faults, that loves us, despite us. And God, we acknowledge there's times where we've been like Judas and betrayed you, but yet you still love us. We acknowledge we've been like the rich young ruler wanting to hold on to our life or hold on to our stuff, but yet you look at us with love. And I pray that your love would become so strong in us that we would respond like she responds Jesus you can have it all you can have it all you can have it all because I'm in love with you I'm in love with you and nothing else matters God may that be the cry of this church may that be the cry of your Your bride individually, but also your bride collectively. Let us come into the reality that this is all heading towards this marriage supper of the Lamb. Help us to live like your bride this week. May we join you in the washing of the water of the word. So that we can live without blemish and spot and wrinkle. live into the fact that there's no flaw in us because of the blood be glorified Jesus with our life we love you but we want to love you more we need you to do that in us because we can't do it in ourselves in Jesus name amen
0: thanks for visiting us today Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.